Welcome back to Disney Dependent. I'm Sarah Chilcott. And I'm Jonathan Van Ness. Woo! Oh. He brings it back. He slid away and he slid back. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> what in the gosh darn heck happened to the sunshine? I, uh, Man. Seeing as how this is an audio-based show. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll explain it. Thank you. There isn't any. <laughs> That's yeah. it. That's it's the end October of that. October in Portland. Technically Beaverton, okay? <laughs> do you live in Hillsboro, technically? Yes. Yes, you do. The H. Burrow, where I like weed, sex, money, cars, and studios. Do you remember that? No. Is that someone's song? Some, some rapper in Hillsboro. That was his line. That's... Living in the H. Burrow, we like weed, sex, money, cars, and studios. <laughs> I mean, some of those things sound fine. The money in cars is not accurate, but weed in studios? That's very Hillsboro. Studios? Like recording studios. Are there any? I think that's just There's in Stephen. your world. <laughs> yeah. That is only in your world. There's your two friends that had studios. <laughs> I don't know of a single studio. I'm thinking studio uh, apartments, and I was like, not really. Not really. And there's like a handful in the kind of hoity-toity areas God, but living in a studio apartment in hillsborough yeah someone's doing it i shouldn't judge that was yeah. my first apartment studio in portland was you it a studio place? yeah the very first one i lived there for like six months okay that was a studio is that the one where we had to move the mattress up the yep. stairs and your friends were trapped and <laughs> that screaming you and josh and... called the the he called the it apartment, the from, apartment seven. from seven yeah yes <laughs> that's what it looked like totally yeah. Real disgusting. Because the elevator was only big enough for basically two people to stand side by side. Right. No boxes. Yeah. No, no furniture. No cargo whatsoever. And you were on like the fifth floor or the something fifth crazy. fifth floor. And it was like 100 degrees in that room. <laughs> and we got your queen size mattress up the stairs somehow. Like stairs that had switchbacks. Yeah, I thought it was going to kill Dylan. Well, my friend. I just remember standing at the top of the stairs and trying, I, not even trying to help. There was nothing I could do no, but watch and encourage. Yeah. And uh, at one point, I think it was Dylan was just laying on top of the mattress. He had given up on everything. Yeah. I was like, that's where that's going to stay that's forever. That's where that lives now. James, you don't get a mattress. Yeah, I remember neighbors coming out because we were just screaming. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> like weightlifting screaming. <laughs> it's like, that's a good way to be. Oh my God, welcome, neighbor. That was such a creepy apartment, dude. God, some of the shit we saw there, Ash. Remember yeah. our, our neighbors when we moved to the one bedroom downstairs? Our very uh, domestic abuse gay couple neighbors? Yeah. Jeez Louise, man. <laughs> just oh, craziness, no. man. My friend Kayla was just telling me about her one of her apartments she had in Portland overlooked a strip club. Mm, and classy. her and her friend would get a cup of coffee in the morning and go sit out on their balcony yeah. to watch the strippers come out in the morning after oh. their shift. And there are just all kinds of shady shit going on in that parking lot. Oh, but it was like their God. ritual. They'd get up, they'd make coffee, they'd like... <laughs> Get out there and get ready, have a cigarette, and watch the strippers. <laughs> oh, like, wow. She's like, I miss it. Yeah. She's a mother of two now. It's like Christmas morning. Mm-hmm. The magical strippers in the morning. <laughs> exactly. Just emerging from their dark, dank, scary 
Yeah. yeah. You know, Portland has more strip clubs per capita than any city in the world. I believe it. That's that's a real stat. <laughs> I believe it. I hear something. Oh, <laughs> thank God. This just in, it's 67 and partly cloudy at not Disneyland. And it's 80 degrees and sunny at Disneyland. Okay. This is the time of year where they start winning. This is where it starts really <laughs> having an impact. <laughs> yep. I know. I and checked, it's not even pouring I right now. I checked the forecast in, in Long Beach the other day, Ash, and I just cried. <laughs> It's like 75 and sunny with a breeze. I've been good with the weather so oh, far. I know. It's fine so far. We I have just, like I know two weeks coming. left. We do this at every single episode. Yep. I'm sorry, friends. Last week, we talked about the Tin Woodman from The Wizard of Oz and his crazy backstory. Oh my God, that's right. I did it. I said Tin Woodman and not Woodsman. Yes. That was impressive and sounded wrong. Yeah. It still sounded wrong. It feels wrong coming out of my mouth. Yep. This week, we're talking about the 1985 sequel, Return to Oz. Yeah. Yeah. Such an epic. Mambi. Oh. So good. Dude, the wheelers are still some of the, like, the earliest... That I can remember the earliest memory for me that, like, really scared me. Well, you were terrified of the flying monkeys from the original, too. When yeah, you were I mean, little, that's, that's just as scary. Maybe he just doesn't like assistance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those wheelers, though, man, I don't know. That's pretty scary. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. But now thinking about it as an adult, like, if a grown man came... <laughs> wheeling on wheels, up on you? Like... Just kick him in the what head. Kick ass Halloween costume that would be. Yeah. Yeah, if you could stand it. Um, yeah, that oh, would destroy you my could body. Could do it for a photo. Yeah. That's about it. That's about it. Well, 1939's The Wizard of Oz is one of the most iconic classic films ever made. It's hard to quantify just how much of an effect it has had on modern entertainment. Yeah. But it strays so far from L. Frank Baum's source material in plot, but much more importantly in tone. Despite the somber black-and-white intro, the, the bulk of the film depicts a candy-coated, vibrant musical version of Baum's darkly fantastical literary world of Oz. Mm. Think of it this way. If The Wizard of Oz were made today, rabid fans of the book series would be livid. Folks would be tearing it apart online. <laughs> Maybe canceled. <laughs> but it was a massive success, despite the popularity of the source material at the time. Who knows why? Maybe the country was desperate for some lightness after the Great Depression as it sat nestled uncomfortably between two world wars. <laughs> Maybe the novelty and spectacle of the new film technology overrode any discriminating lens the audience may have held. Or maybe it's just that good. It's pretty damn good. It is It good. holds up to me. Yeah. Oh, I think it's great. Regardless, it came as a big surprise that 46 years later, the 1985 sequel, Return to Oz, was such a massive failure. It was arguably much more faithful to bomb source material and tone than The Wizard of Oz. And right. as such, it was a much darker film, mm-hmm. trading in the vibrant musical elements in favor of terrifying antagonists, metaphors about childhood trauma, and unhealthy escapist fantasies. What year is it? 1985. Okay. And so it was a it was a flop in the theater but then became a cult classic. Yeah. That's so crazy that it was a flop because it's pretty I, much beloved now. I mean, we grew up watching it all the time. So, I guess yeah, I mean, I we, guess I didn't see it when I was 5. We definitely watched Return to Oz more than Wizard of Oz, right? Like I it's think not even, so, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, I definitely did. Yeah. So, how did this sequel come to be? 
Disney at the time owned the rights to all of Baum's Oz books except for the first, The Wizard of Oz. Mm. Um, but owners' rights honestly didn't matter anyways because by that time the books were in the public domain been right. over 75 years. By the way, not to interrupt, but could you imagine if there was Wizard of Oz characters at Disneyland, how scary that would be? <laughs> and Return to Oz, the wheelers just going down the parade. That would be great for the Halloween parade. I know, no you're right. kidding. That's true. Uh, Walt Disney Studios had been wanting to revisit the Land of Oz for a sequel movie for ages, so they held a brainstorming meeting to figure out how best to use those untapped Oz storylines available to them. The lucky storyline that won out drew inspiration from both The Marvelous Land of Oz and Ozma of Oz. Too many Ozes there? <laughs> Too many Ozes in the title. Ozma of Oz in Oz. By, by Oz. <laughs> <laughs> Just consolidate the Oz's. Just make yeah, it one. Make Oz. It one. Oz. Famed editor and sound designer Walter Murch was brought in to direct his first and only time, and he wanted to make this Oz film more faithful to the source material than the 1939 classic. Ultimately, he was chosen for the role because, quote, when he talked about the Oz books, he came to life. And, oh, the money was thrown at the project. I was just going to ask, mm. do you ever wonder how first directors get their first movie especially when it's like a big production like that like how did he convince anyone no like kidding. hey i've never done this <laughs> yeah why don't you just throw all the money all the budget at at me well he's very well connected which you'll hear about and he has a lot of um editing chops he's very big like he's friends with all the big directors and right he's like put his time in so it's all about who you know he's not just some rando off the street right yeah he ain't some geek off the street he's like a real oz <laughs> is that a saying no nope. no nope. he's like a real genuine oz that's a thing <laughs> it is now <laughs> um here's a description of merch from a 1985 new york times article that i really liked quote at first glance this quiet phlegmatic man with the drooping mustache phlegmatic? and and steel-rimmed glasses seems the wrong choice for a director of a fantasy. He could most easily play Dorothy's Uncle Henry, that prematurely aged farmer in faded overalls. <laughs> he has the stolid, rural look of a man more used to tinkering with things than people, the impenetrable look of a man to whom Oz would be more foreign than the moon. And indeed, he had one foot in the 19th century— he lives at Blackberry Farm, a farmhouse built in 1875 from a Sears Roebuck catalog in an inaccessible small town 500 miles north of Los Angeles. He keeps bees and meticulously prepares his own honey. I I'm like, that's build me. A barn <laughs> from a Sears Roebuck catalog? Yeah. yeah. That's so funny that they used to be able to do that. Uh, yeah, Josh's grandma had a house that was one of those kit homes. Yeah. And it's crazy. I, I mean, I was in it. I I painted the inside, and it was a home. Where was this? In North Plains. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. Well, that same meticulousness has brought him numerous Academy Award nominations and some wins for sound and film editing. The scrupulous care for detail that makes him a brilliant film and sound editor also drove him to the edge of a nervous breakdown during the filming of Return to Oz, mm. which, again, the first movie he ever directed. <laughs> And also, like, having that be your first movie, the imagery mm -hmm. and all of that, even if you weren't having a nervous breakdown because of the work, right. just knowing what you were creating yeah, would yeah, cause yeah. enough for me. Yeah. yeah. It's not, yeah, you're not making, like, 
my best friend's wedding or no, something. No, no. Not real lighthearted. <laughs> no. Um, first up, Merch extensively researched the time period using Wisconsin Death Trip by Michael Lisey, huh? a book of 19th century photographs that he used as a reference to create the dreary landscape and the harsh living conditions that Dorothy and her family would have had to have endured in the 1800s. Sheesh. And I love this book. I want it. Wisconsin it is a, death, it is a trip. It is a picture book and it is bleak. Really? It's very interesting. It's just shitty living conditions of that time? Yeah. Wow. It's, I mean, imagine a bleak Kansas hellscape. I'm looking on Amazon for Like it Dust right Bowl now. stuff. Yep. So the Wizard of Oz film, it had to invent its own framework for the characters from Dorothy's real life in Kansas to reappear in Oz, because mm-hmm. that was not part of the story. So the farmhands were the Cowardly Lion, the Tin Man, and the Scarecrow. The evil neighbor woman who wanted to kill Toto was the Wicked Witch, etc. Mm-hmm. So Merch says he felt required to do the same in order to make the two films harmonize. So he created an evil nurse, an electroshock therapy happy doctor, mm-hmm. and a horde of problematic orderlies who would appear in Oz as Mombi, the Gnome King, and the Wheelers, respectively. And the Wheelers, right. When Merch presented Disney with his first draft in the spring of 1982, the studio was uneasy calling the script... Too weird and cold. What studio? <laughs> Disney. Okay. And considering how weird and cold the final version is, I would love to see his first draft. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So the last draft got uh, normal and warm, apparently. Yes. Ultimately, it was greenlit, and an initial budget was set for $20 million. Damn. Filming was to begin in the countryside of southwest England in place of Kansas, mm-hmm. with Oz scenes to be filmed in the London studios. Now, before we begin... It's important to keep in mind that there was a lot of turmoil happening in the studios behind the scenes that would really negatively impact production. For example, between the summer of 1980 when Walter Murch was hired and October of 1984 when most of the shooting was completed, Walt Disney Studios had cycled through three different heads of production. Wow. Whoa. And each of them had their own opinions on everything in the project. Right. So, under the first head of production, Merch hired his friend, Gary Kurtz, the producer of Star Wars, to be hired as his producer. A production designer was chosen, and sets and robot-controlled characters were designed. Like TikTok. Yeah. (laughs) Then, in November 1983, Roger Berger, the second president of production, shut the movie down. Berger said about it in hindsight, quote, The budget was up to $27 million. We had a nine-year-old who was only permitted to work three and a half hours a day and who was in 98% of the scenes and complicated animatronics that were difficult to make work properly. And under Gary Kurtz, the movie was supposed to go to Algiers, Sardinia, Spain, Canada, Kansas, and England. Gary had the best interest of the film at heart, but as a dream. The dream has to be in the director's head. The realities have to be in the producer's head. Mm-hmm. All of Disney's recent movies had been over budget. Something Wicked This Way Comes had been f- $5 million over budget. I decided to close the movie and write off the $6 million that we'd already spent. Damn. She was only nine? She was 10, but Jeez. he's just yeah. saying that for dramatic yeah. effect. What's yeah. her weird name again? Veruza Bulk. Bulk. There it is. Yeah. Very weird. Which sounds a lot like Veruca Salt. Yeah, it does. Same. Yep. Um, eventually, there was a compromise. The movie would be made almost completely in England on a firm budget of $25 million. And the producer, Mr. Kurtz, was in essence fired and replaced with someone who was more like oil to Merch's water. They mm. did not mix well. Mm. 
with an immensely complicated movie to direct and without the psychological support of his producer, Merch was floundering, worrying himself into a nervous breakdown. 40 days into production, Mr. Merch was already a week behind schedule. And then he was fired for his own good. Ah. He said, quote, had I fought back and jumped up and down screaming, they might have said, okay, but I couldn't fight back. I felt what the soul feels after it's left the body after a car accident. Pain, but tremendous relief. (laughs) Wow. Is he still credited as like co-director? He comes back. Oh, I see. Tricked you. Okay. <laughs> I get it now. Uh, within an hour, the word had leaked out. Mr. Berger was bombarded by agents for other directors. At 1 a.m., he told his hotel, don't put any more calls through until the morning. But then 3.30 a.m., he was awakened by a call from George Lucas, who Merch knew from film school. And he was in Japan. Mr. Lucas's first words were, you're making a mistake. Damn. I'm the head of the studio, Mr. Berger said, and went back to sleep. Imagine hanging up on George Lucas. (laughs) And I know. In the morning, there was a second call from Mr. Lucas. He would come to to London immediately and, quote, give Walter the confidence he needs. Mr. Lucas assured Mr. Merch that what he had on film was wonderful. During the next few months... Francis Ford Coppola, Steven Spielberg, and Philip Kaufman also flew to London to bolster Walter's self-esteem. Wow. Dang, he had some friends in high places. See what I'm talking about? And I got friends in in high places. places. He must have been a really nice guy. Yeah, or connected. But more than that. Because, like, yeah, there you don't any, get like, people flying across the world to help you out unless they really, really like you. Yeah. Maybe he knew dirt on all of them. Yeah, maybe he's in the Ooh, mafia. Ooh, that's it. He left, like, a horse head in their bed or something. <laughs> Shit. Cool. Um, so, ultimately, the movie cost $28 million to complete. So, to <laughs> hell with that firm 25 Yeah, man. How many? $28 million. 28 yeah. How many? How, How many? many? How, How many? many million? How many pennies? <laughs> so let's talk about the characters in the film. Okay. There's the Wheelers, quote, styled as terrifying carnival freak show castoffs and roam the deserted ruined streets of the Emerald City like a PCP bike gang. Yes. Love that. That is Very on accurate. the nose. Yep. There's the head swapping witch Mombi and the Gnome King. All of these creatures and characters are original to Bomb's work, although some artistic liberty was taken by Merch. Which one is the Gnome King? He's the rock guy. Oh, he's the rock guy. At the end. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's the one with the ruby slippers. Yes. (laughs) Weird story. Originally, the slippers were silver. Right. Right. So, the, the wheelers. So, this is how they filmed that. Rear wheels were mounted on platform uh, metal platforms with tennis shoes and leg reinforcements attached. <laughs> and front wheels were affixed to foot-long extensions with elbow supports, hand grips, and brake mechanisms inside. Weird. And so 17 performers practiced for weeks to become proficient with the wheeler mechanisms. <laughs> Can you imagine watching a bunch of people <laughs> practicing just like in their normal clothes yeah. like that? <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I feel like I could do it. Yeah. You think so? Yeah, I got it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I got this. (laughs) Uh, Then there's Belina, the chicken. Oh, yeah. So creating a convincing mechanical chicken proved to be one of the more challenging assignments for the film's animatronic staff. 
One of the early proposals for how to do it was to produce a larger-than-life bird and photograph it with oversized settings and props, (laughs) (laughs) which obviously was discarded because it was very impractical. (laughs) You don't say. Uh, In the end, the crew were able to cram the necessary articulating mechanisms into an actual-sized chicken figure. Belina's lifelike feather coat was produced by Val Jones, em- employing a hand-woven elastic fabric laced with loops of wool, to which real chicken feathers were painstakingly glued into. Cool. You know, I have to say this. I obviously watched this movie young enough that I don't remember it not being a real chicken. Aww. I know. I know. Me, me neither. Like I'm not picturing she an animatronic. She felt real to you. Yeah. Yeah. It she totally real worked to me for too. me. <laughs> Didn't the Rock King eat the chicken? No. Or maybe no. Did he threaten it or something? No. It's that someone eats the eggs. Does he eat the eggs? Audience, Belina. watch the movie and remind no. us. <laughs> no, Belina. I remember. I, was I mean, totally, she's definitely in peril a lot. I was planning to watch it this morning, me and too. then I slept in. Yeah. And then we didn't. And then I just yeah, didn't. Just didn't. Um, the crew were so happy that the Belina design and puppetry actually worked that for her first screen test, they had Belina lip sync to Fran- Frank Sinatra's My Way. <laughs> <laughs> I want that footage. No kidding. Um, for TikTok. So during production, the mechanical man was played by Michael Sundin, an actor with acrobatic experience who contorted himself into TikTok's cramped torso area <gasps> for up to an hour at a time. Ugh. That's a nightmare. No. Though Sundin was able to walk and provide minimal arm movement for the character, head and facial articulations were achieved externally via radio control, like Elf. Uh huh. Nick Elf. <laughs> TikTok is adorable. We all know that. Mm-hmm. His little mustache, great. his hat. He's short and squatty, and he kind of hobbles. He's yeah, great. Yeah, he's great. He looks like a fire hydrant. <laughs> yeah, he's like like a like a British soldier or something, right? Is that what he's supposed to look like? He's got like I the don't... mustache and the little helmet. Yeah, yeah, like a Cogsworth fire hydrant. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> he's great. <laughs> Um, and then there's Feruza. So, 10 years old and unknown to the industry at the time, she won out over almost a thousand other young actresses. And one report that I read said that she was the youngest to audition. Hmm. She's so strange looking, too. And I don't mean that in an insulting way. I think she's rather lovely in real life, like as an adult. Yeah. But unique looking, to say the least. Yeah. So she it's kind of interesting. Couldn't have, been, uh, couldn't have been cast better. Yeah. I yeah. Think. Oh, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Her eyes, like, she's like, conveys that, like, childlike, like, wonder. Mm-hmm. And it, it's fitting because she looks different. It looks like a different, I don't know, it, it's fitting for this, you know, made-up land. Totally. Yeah. Um, Merch said of her, quote, I wanted to find somebody who might be Judy Garland's cousin once removed so that both films can exist in your mind like two chords. Right. Mm-hmm. The film company invited local primary school kids to visit the sets in Chittern and Tillshead. Pisses me off. <laughs> I like that Ash knew and <laughs> yes. just took a pause to give him a chance Pisses to just get mad about the name. <laughs> Say them again. I'm probably pronouncing them wrong. Chittern and Tillshead. 
So later, the older children from the local uh, schools were invited to visit the film studios in London, where the main part of the film was being made to meet Veruza. When they arrived, she was with her tutor in a trailer that doubled as her classroom, explaining that when she was not required on set, she had to keep up with her school lessons just like them. She's American, right? Yeah. I'm saying that with pure confidence. I don't know. I I I would say yes. I'll but, look it up. You keep talking. Okay. She gave each of the kids a picture of her as a memento from their visit. Cute. And the children got a full set tour on one of those train-like cart systems that you see on sets. They even got to see other film sets at the time, including Star Wars. Ooh, wow. That is pretty cool. Uh, and my favorite Feruza fact, uh, when later on when she was asked who was the better co-star, she chose... Belina, the animatronic chicken, overworking with Adam Sandler on The Water Boy. <laughs> uh, so she is American. She grew up in the Bay Area of California. Lovely. There you go. See, I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, so, reception. The film was not well-reviewed by critics who thought it would frighten young children. Mm-hmm. Um, Dave Kerr of the Chicago Reader describes the film as bleak, creepy, and occasionally terrifying. <laughs> Yes, yep. that's so great. Pretty yeah. accurate. Um, indeed, it failed to appeal to the public, although supposedly it was a pretty big hit in Japan at the time. That's that, that tracks. Amazing. Japan knows what's up. So it cost $28 million to make. What do you think the gross um, in the U.S. Oh, box no. office was? Gross? Yeah. Was um, it less? <laughs> in AD5? That's when it came out? Yeah. Mm, 10 million 12 you're but in between so it's like 11 million basically okay so you know 17 million dollar loss oh that's nothing but over time it has taken its place among our generation's list of cult classics i would like i would like to know what they made in the vhs release though Mm -hmm. because that's when it became a cult classic over years yeah and that movie was like rate right in that bracket of time when VHS was so popular. Yeah. You know, I bet they sold a bunch of VHS after that. Yep. Not like right after because it probably took a while. Mm-hmm. But we all had it. Yeah, we did. I watched it and had nightmares. Um, speaking of which, uh, Merch himself described the, his film as dark and at moments bleak. And this is surely intentional. In the 1980s, um, th- so, fun fact. In the 1980s, a scientific test was released called the Fear Survey Schedule for Children and was used by psychiatrists to measure the phobias of young patients and to provide treatment. Mm. There are five core tenets to this and 80 subcategories of fears in the test, such as fear of the dark, fear of spiders, getting lost, and over half of them are used in the film. <laughs> wow. By the way, you said this was his... Uh, first movie that he directed, right? Mm-hmm. He only directed this and then one episode of Star Wars The Clone Wars. Yeah. That's the only two credits he has as a director. I think huh. he saw this and he was like, you know what? Everything else is this like... This isn't for me. Yeah. He has 27 credits as an editor. Oh, yeah. He's done so much. Like uh, Apocalypse stuff, Now. The English like, Patient. Yeah. Wow. Cold Mountain Jarhead. Yeah. Um. So that exploration of fear through such things as the unfamiliar, the uncanny, and the outright terrifying, is part of why that is so faithful to the source material. Right. Many of the characters and events from the movie come straight from the novels. These stories give children a chance to confront these fears and find a satisfying resolution to them at the end. 
Wow. I think that's why we all love it so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. I, we definitely need to watch it again soon. For those who haven't watched it in a while, definitely check it out. It's a perfect Halloween movie, even yeah. though it's not Halloween. There is a well, Pumpkinhead. Pumpkin. Yeah, that he's mm-hmm. basically the Scarecrow, right? Mm-hmm. Pumpkinhead, and then the the moose, the moose head guy. It's it's a wild movie. Yeah, it's yeah. like a stuffed. It's a couch head that's attached to a couch. Yeah, that's what they fly flies. around on. Like Santa's sleigh, basically. Yeah. Well, they assemble him, and then they use, like, magic to yeah. bring him to life. Yeah. Isn't it that the Rock King guy, the Gnome King, he's allergic to eggs or something? And the he's chicken... He's allergic to the chicken, for sure. Okay, and the chicken somehow plops eggs into yeah. his mouth. Yeah, that's what it is. And that's how that's they how he defeat crumbles him or and something? Dies. Yeah. <laughs> I swear this might be a fever dream, but I think no, that really No, I think happened. you're onto something. <laughs> okay. The scene with the hands? Yeah. She's falling through the rock hands? Nope, that's not that movie. Is that not that that's movie? That's Labyrinth. Is that Labyrinth? Yeah. Oh, you know, we'd know if we'd watched it, but none of us did. <laughs> well, you know what's weird? She that's chose down. Right around the same time, too. Yeah. It's like the same, like the dark crystal. Yep. It is. A, it's that yep. same hands. feel where it's yeah. just freaking terrifying, but also... Mostly innocent. Yeah, Mostly check out innocent. our series on, um, what is it called? Our Disney tra- trauma series. Disney yeah. Trauma. yeah. <laughs> Why we're all so messed up as adults. Yep. Uh, my sources for this episode were Screen Crush, Geeks, MovieWeb.com, The New York Times, Disney Blog, and an Angel Fire site with yellow text on white background that probably gave me syphilis from reading it. It's <laughs> 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 literally how I read it. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of getting syphilis from reading. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. <laughs> oh, that's good, Ash. Yeah. It's a good reminder of, of these kind of movies. And there's a lot of them out there, man. There are so many weird movies that we we grew up with or that were like right before our time. Like um like The Wiz. That's a weird gosh darn movie. Yeah. Really weird. Really weird. Really, really, on really down, weird. He's on down the road. Oh my god. Haven't seen that in twenty something years. Yeah. Yeah. There's just so many of those movies that are worth revisiting. And I think Return to Oz might be the best of them. I honestly up there. didn't realize, and I'm sure I've said this before when we talked about Return to Oz a long time ago. I didn't realize it was had anything to do with Disney. I didn't either. No, because it doesn't feel like it. Like no. At all. No, not at all. <laughs> and because the original obviously wasn't. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's that's interesting that they even signed on for it at mm-hmm. all. Yeah. Is that the one with the lunch pails? Yep. yep. The lunch pail tree. God, I always wanted that. Me too. I know. It'd be pretty convenient. Boy. Well, here's to you, Return to Oz. And then later... Uh, what's her What's her name? Feruza Balk. Feruza Balk went on to be a a groupie in Almost Famous. Yep. Where she takes a 15-year-old virginity. And a witch in The Craft where she goes insane and tries to kill everyone. She's the one in Almost Famous yeah. that answers the phone and says, mm-hmm. is this Marianne with the pot? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. This is not Marianne no. with the pot. No. It's not Marianne with the pot. Yeah, she's so good. I know what you're doing. Something <laughs> like that. I know, I know what's, what's going, going on. on. That's what it is. I miss you and, and I, I love, love you. 
I love that movie. It's such a good movie. Oh, so it's one of the best. My daughter, Lauren, and her buddies were at the bar the other night when I was bartending, and they were talking about something, and I was trying to remember um, the name of a movie, mm-hmm. and it turned out it was actually That Thing You Do. I was trying, because this guy was talking about how he saw Guar in concert. Yeah, they're great. And I was like, oh, have you ever seen that movie? And I was mixing it up with Empire Records. <laughs> Because that kid is in both, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So yep. that's that's why I got mixed player. up. But Lauren's sitting there after a couple of drinks, and she's trying to explain to this guy about Empire Records. When <laughs> originally I'm trying to explain that thing you do, and now we're talking about Empire Records, and Lauren has messed it up so badly. <laughs> she's describing the plot of Almost Famous. Oh my god! And this kid is just looking back and forth, yeah. and we're like. And I go, wait, no, <laughs> it's not almost famous, and it's not Empire <laughs> Records. It's it's that one. It's the it's the oh, one where they, they, they have the song and they're the wonders. I could tell you the whole plot, <laughs> <laughs> the name of the movie. Oh my goodness. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, we left that kid just confused. far more confused than he started out. She sounds like there's a really great movie about music generally, but I don't know. And I just named three of them, and yeah. all because in one of them, a kid escapes from his band and goes to see a Guar concert <laughs> when he's like high on something. <laughs> wow. Oh, uh, that's awesome. Uh, my my business partner's book Guar, by the way. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> like old clients of theirs. <laughs> they're awesome. They're the ones that shoot like blood, blood and... out into the audience. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're like, they're supposed to be like uh, prehistoric aliens. I right. think is what they are. <laughs> yeah. They're monsters yeah. of some kind. They're really, really funny. Mm-hmm. There's only like two surviving members left. Most mm. of them have died. They're all old guys. Okay. I think they're all like 60. Wow. Yeah. They've been going forever. And 60 in the music industry is like 98. Yeah. And in metal. Is exactly. More. Yeah. Because there's been a lot. Yeah. A lot of living. A lot of living. 60 years. They are hilarious. All right. Well, let's uh, recommend some things to people and, you know, wrap this one up with a nice little bow. <sighs> well, I'll start it off. Okay. Um, because I will forget what I was going to recommend if I don't. Okay. Um. I have been, well, Josh and I have been binging, I think I say that every episode, binging, because Mm -hmm. that's all I do. I don't watch something, like, once a week. I watch it every, like, a whole season in three days. Got it. Because I I don't watch movies very often. I watch watch shows. Series. Yeah. Um, Show Suits. Oh, yeah. I actually started the first season... A long time ago, and I did the same thing. I watched it on like a couple flights, and it was it was good. Yeah, so really I kept seeing the thumbnail and thinking this douchey show about this douchey guy, and I just didn't. I had no interest in it at all. And then two of my girlfriends were talking about how they're like on season eight of it, and they love it so much. And I was like, really? Yeah. And they're both like they're pretty different from each other, people. And so I was like, I gotta check this out. I was hooked immediately. We're on season four already, and nice. Yeah, it's great. Is it's, it all on Netflix? Mm-hmm. Right. As far as I know, I hope it is. Otherwise, I'm going to be screwed. But the beginning is for sure. Yeah, and it, we've it, watched four seasons on Netflix. It's not like the best, most compelling show ever, but it's it's really well done. It's well done. It's funny. It's really it's funny. intelligent. Yeah. Of course, there's major plot holes sure. and. 
you know, I love it's it's a a legal drama mm-hmm. comedy, and I I just love how they'll like pass a file across a desk and they open it up and within. 1.3 seconds they know everything about what they just saw yeah, like right. they open the file and they're like oh well this is a that's it's like, this kind of case that would take you 30 minutes to thumb through to even have an idea about what we're talking about uh, the main guy's story is pretty compelling and, yeah. and interesting yeah i liked that character a lot yes me too very cool He's like a genius, isn't yeah. he, basically? He has photographic memory. That's what it is. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, he can he memorized like all the law books. Yeah. No, the the first opening sequence of the first episode is really really well done. I don't remember it. It's like where he's running from the police. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 How it kind of all started. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh cool. Love it. Um my reference from the top of the show, if you guys remember. <laughs> oh, JVN. Is the show Queer Eye, which I'm sure I've probably recommended probably three or four times on this. this Maybe, darn but podcast. it deserves a, another. Yeah, and I, I'm talking about the new version of Queer Eye. I think it was Queer Eye for the Straight Guy was the right. original one in the 90s. This is just Queer Eye on Netflix. It is, um, look, you know, <laughs> we all go through things, right? And I have had a, a personal struggle in the past couple weeks. We all go through it. And having things like that isn't just fun entertainment and distraction, which allows you to kind of heal. It's a good reminder because the whole show is about people that that can uh, that need hope and can mm-hmm. change. And it's a good reminder that it's never too late. That we do get better. That if you feel like you're stuck in a rut, if you're Whatever age you're telling yourself is too old to start over, it's not true. That doesn't exist. You're never too old to get better. You're never too old to change, to pursue that dream, to go after that person that you love, or to get out of a relationship, or whatever that thing is. Yep. You can always start over. And by golly, that show is a... Whew, it was the right place at the right time for me. Yeah. I, Re- no, really I, I totally agree. I yeah. got really into it a couple of years ago. I was... Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's good. It's good stuff. very um emotional. Yeah. Some it episodes. Is. Like I'm watching a makeover show. Why am I so emotional? It's right. because it's not about the physical makeover, no. although that is always a beautiful transformation. Yeah. It's also just like they are so much better mm-hmm. at the end of it. And I think all the people they choose, they they all represent pieces of ourselves. Yeah. They're all people like us or people that you know well no matter how many friends or family or people that you have in your life just watching someone have a crew of people devote time and energy into making them better it's It's, good it is good yeah so maybe i I need the fab five to come over come over to my life and (laughs) spruce it up a bit (laughs) you imagine um excellent i also love queer eye yeah my media wreck is Wisconsin Death Trip by Michael Lisi. I just put it in my Amazon cart. I <laughs> totally almost it. bought it while we were sitting <laughs> here, but I didn't because I was like, maybe she already ordered it. Yes. <laughs> it's a picture book, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Did you see it on Amazon for thirty two fifty? Yes. And I saw one that was in good condition used for like 19 Ooh, I was looking for a used oh, you one. You did order it, it, you said? I'm about to. That is hilarious. Yeah. 
Hell yeah. Um, I did look through a lot of what I could find online. Mwah. Mwah. <laughs> nice. And the animal hero of the week is Barto, the rat hunting Cairn Terrier, and his friends Henry and Fitz. He's part of a crew that runs the streets of DC from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on certain <gasps> special nights. And um, here's a picture of him being lowered into a dumpster to do his, his duty. <laughs> <laughs> He's so happy. What a little dude. Look at that dude. Barto the rat hunting Cairn Terrier from oh Washington, D.C. Yep. Oh, I love him. He's good. Yeah, he's good. <laughs> All well, right. Well, let's do this. Thanks for listening to another episode of Disney Dependent. See, See you real soon. soon. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Disney Dependent. And you can send us an email at DisneyDependent at gmail.com. This podcast is produced by Producer Ash. The logo is by Ryan Hatch, and you can find him at WRHatch on Instagram. The music is by Ryan Knowles, and you can find him at Ryan Allen Knowles on Instagram. This show is mixed and edited by Deanna Chapman. You can find Deanna at Deanna underscore Chapman. And this has been a Team Dynamite Goat production. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the show and we'll be back here next week. 